Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fantastic Mr. Fox Minute, the only show on the internet that covers the 2009 Wes Anderson animated film, Fantastic Mr. Fox, one minute at a time. My name is Tyler Boudreaux. And I am Condra Boudreaux. And we're the hosts of this program, which is coming to an end because this is Minute 86 out of 87. Uh, Minute 86 consists of credits. It begins with dialogue re-recordists, and it ends with the soundtrack available that is on ABKCO Records. Any idea what ABKCO Records stands for? Um, what does RKO stand for? Oh, I don't know. Because I feel like it's like an, a reference to that, but I don't know what RKO stands for, so what is I think radio. TKO stands for Total Knockout, right? Yeah. Okay. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking well, about it has here. two similar letters. Yes, but in regards to what they're referring to, or... I don't know what they're um, referring to. I only know the Justin Timberlake song. Well, TKO is a boxing slash wrestling term. Oh. And RKO Studios was um, an early uh, movie studio that produced features such as The Wizard of Oz and helped with early works like Fantasia. So... Well, that's very interesting. I don't see how they would become a record company, though. <laughs> but, like, if it has to do with recording... Because I think part of it was used with, like, part of the music. I know with Fantasia, like, they made specific sound equipment. So Fantasia could be in kind of a surround sound style. It's not full interesting. surround sound. Interesting. Stereo, as it were. Yeah. Should we talk about this minute? I mean, there's music talked about. So we've get some um we get to hear um or see about the musicians of this film so the people beyond Depla, the people actually performing the music that he wrote do you have information about them that you would like to share it seemed like you were about to go into that oh yeah Uh, sorry (laughs) i'm really fried i was at the renaissance fair all day today (laughs) i'm just like hello did you eat a turkey leg i can't eat a turkey leg i had a salad oh was it a, because that's all I can eat? Was it was it themed in a specific way? No, and they actually tried to give me one with cheese on it, and I was like, I'm really allergic to dairy, and you said this was one of your lactose free options or like dairy free options. Please give me one without cheese. And they're <laughs> like, Oh crap! Let me find you one that doesn't have cheese on it. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, fun at the Renaissance Fair. Absolutely. So some of the stuff I I looked into in this uh, scrolling minute was uh, the titles of the the film were done by a company called Look Effects. And then Look we get a listing effects. of all this. I know. Which I feel like is an aptly named company for someone that does titles. <laughs> that was a good joke. So for our... Pardon? No, I was laughing because it was a funny what? joke. Thank you. You know, people don't give me as much credit as I deserve for actually being pretty funny. Dad, last, <laughs> our father last night at work was like, I like said something and it was just very quick and like sharp and witty. And he's like, wait, that was really funny. And I was like, yeah, you know, Tyler's not the only funny one in this family. I'm actually funny too. He's like, but you don't do it for attention. And I'm like, I know that's why I'm secretly funny. <laughs> I appreciate the So call he dug at you. He dug at you, which was great. Uh, so for our soloist, and 
there's a list of them. There's a, there's a bunch of them, but I didn't write down their names. I only wrote down what they performed, like what they played. And for some reason, we have three different people that played the mandolin. Uh, so one person is just credited as the mandolin. Uh, one person is credited playing the Celeste, which I have no idea what that is. I was hoping you as a musician would know what that is. A Celeste? Yeah. I, I've i heard of it. I'm not remembering it off the top of my head, but I can look it up really easily right now. Cool. So, and then another person is credited for playing the banjo, ukulele, guitar, and mandolin. The next person is credited just playing guitars, multiple guitars. <laughs> the next person is guitars, banjo, and mandolin. Provided this is not the same person that has already been credited for playing the banjo and the mandolin, or the person just playing the banjo, or I'm sorry, just playing the mandolin, or just playing guitars, because you need three different people that play the mandolin for this movie, apparently. Um, we had an individual playing a jew's harp, spoons, and toy percussion. Yes, that is my boy I'm- Paul Clarvis, who seems like he's into some folksy, Folk? folksy stuff, and I appreciate that. Then we have a person playing a trumpet and a piccolo trumpet, which, what does that mean? That would does ju- that mean it's a higher pitch? Yeah, it would just mean it's a higher pitch trumpet, presumably, like, there's less overall tubage to it. So then someone else playing the piccolo and the recorder. We have the keyboard percussions. Then we also have someone playing the drum kit. Then we have someone playing the timpani. And then we have five people playing recorders. Multiple recorders, apparently. And then someone playing a double bass. Which, does that mean there are two get, necks on it? get the full double bass. Like, what is it? No, double bass... Double bass is, like, when you picture a big stand-up bass, that's a double oh. bass. Oh. And then it also lists the boys' choir, which I know we were speculating earlier and how I couldn't find the name of them when we were talking about them singing. Um, it's the London Oratory School Scola? And didn't I hear that... I think I might have read on IMDb Trivia that they recorded that in Abbey Road. Yes, actually, I was going to get to that. Um, So the solo vocalist for that performance was a child named Felix Waring, which is awesome that he's listed. And then, yeah, the two primary recording locations was Abbey Road in London and then Studio Gil-Aume-Tel in Paris. And I butchered that. I don't know how to speak French. But PD's song was recorded in a different location with different people than all of these others, and they got their own special credit. So that's another beast in it. Yeah. Overall, just, like, interesting to see, like, this instrumentation. Do you know what the Celeste is? Yes. Okay. That's. I was like, there's something I was supposed to say about this. Uh, yes. A Celeste or a Celesta is a... It's basically a... It looks like a piano. It looks like an upright piano, but it's just, like, everything's smaller. And... You know your usual like hammers, hitting hitting plates. Um, most famously used in Tchaikovsky's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the Nutcracker. I was talking about the Nutcracker the other day. How it's the only ballet I've ever seen, and it's probably one of the most conf- well. It is a very confusing one. I don't know if it's the most confusing one because I've never seen any others, but it is incredibly confusing, mostly because of the weird stereotyping dancing in the middle of it. Oh, I'm looking up rock and pop uses of it. Every Day and by Buddy Holly. Baby It's You by The Beatles. I have a feeling I know what it sounds like, even if I've never seen it. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm trying to describe. It's the it's the sound of 
Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. I don't like. I don't know. In my head, that's a very distinct sound. So I, I think the version I am most familiar of Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy is um the Fantasia version, which is already arranged differently. So I, I'm not a good one. But it's it sounds like a Glockenspiel. Yeah, no, and I, I know that because of um the Buddy Holly song. So okay. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of music stuff that's happening, um, for soloists and high note people to mention did you well do, we do want to end this show on a high note what about high hopes like panic at the disco no oh man so and then the one other thing i noticed was when it was scrolling through the individual songs that we have talked about throughout the course of the film there are two walt disney song like walt disney record songs and that is just such a like power move to be like yes I am going to get, for my animated film, two songs from the biggest animation company, presumably, in the world, uh, Walt Disney, and then I'm also going to get three Beach Boys songs and (laughs) a Rolling Stones song, because why not? Like, let's just have a huge budget for our music. I mean, it's Wes Anderson. He picks the songs that are necessary, not the songs that are fun. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, like, if you got some of the other ones cheap, though, because they were, like, Burr Alives and stuff. So, like, oh, they're balanced sure. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And should we talk about the music that's playing during these credits? Yeah, because I don't think we've talked about it the last few minutes. So you get high-speed French train at the beginning of the minute, and that had been going on the previous minute. And then you get um, a really weird sped-up version of Mr. Fox in the Field. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's like really fast. It like doesn't sound like it at all. It's like if you're listening to a podcast on like 2.5 times fast, please don't do that to us. We want you to enjoy. Yeah, never listen to a podcast sped up. Um it really distorts the voices and that's really what's like happened here is like it is distorted the way that... It's not distorted. It's no. just it's just faster. It's faster, but it does like the pacing tempo it's hard to recognize yeah the tempo of the song is really affected like the feel of it and it it really radically changes the song when the tempo is altered yeah i I was gonna go back earlier in the minute there's a dialogue re-recordist his name is adam west do you think it's the adam west yes i think it is uh he was still alive at the time and he was the moonlighting as a dialogue re-recordist. Amazing. I, I don't really know what that job is. You presumably just work on the dialogue that's been recorded by the actors and if something didn't, engineer it. Yeah, if something isn't cutting the right way with the way it's animated to just reshoot that line so it does match the animation, maybe? Yeah. Um, I think that's really funny, though, if Adam West did do that because thinking of some of his other later roles in life, like on The Fairly Odd Parents. Yeah, and he like he famously does like animated roles on like Family Guy or something too. Oh yeah, it was weird at the Ren Fair today. They did a spoof of the Fairly Odd Parents theme song, and it like really threw me off guard. I was like, "What yeah. are they doing? This song is so dead." And it's a very specific. If it's a very specific generational show, like like SpongeBob, like had a, like a very like long run, and like presumably like. Many people know of that, but a show like The Fairly Odd Parents on Nickelodeon, like, 
people our age know, but not many people outside of that. Yeah, it, it definitely had its window of fans. But I think it still resonates with those fans. And thinking about, like, how old we are and, like, people that go to the Renaissance Fair, it that is going to hit a certain demographic of people that go to Renaissance Fairs. But at the same time, I was just so taken aback by hearing it's it. It's probably hitting the demographic of the people performing in the Renaissance Fair. Um, no, they're a lot older. There was maybe... Okay. There was, like, two new people that were younger that looked to be, like, our age, but... Everyone else has been there a long time, so wild. And then also in the uh, in the orchestration credit, I saw that uh, in addition to Alexander Desplat and one other person was a person named Marie Christine Desplat, presumably Alexander Desplat's wife or partner or something. Could it be an offspring? It it could. It could be a member of the offspring. Wow. Yeah, they really have gone away. Because their self-esteem is so low. Um, come out and play. Those are my offspring jokes. And they didn't hit. I'm very low energy today. I think I am too. Which, I don't know how that's going to affect our second to last episode. But... Oh, it, it, it we're, we're in the middle of it. It has affected it. <laughs> Great. But we have some major tea to spill next minute. So yes, yes, because next minute will be the last minute. It will be abbreviated. Most of it will be kind of final thoughts. I'm gonna finally rewatch Although, the movie so I can talk about it holistically because it's. Oh, been I two rewatched years. the movie yesterday. I haven't yet. Uh, well, I want to talk about what my thoughts were. Okay, so I'll talk about mine next week. Yeah, so I got I got an auditorium like a local auditorium and at my school. And just me and one other friend sat in the auditorium and watched Amazing. it. Amazing. And it was it was really good. the The pacing is something that's definitely weird for me when I watch this movie now. Explain. Just because I know it really in and out, and it's interesting because a rule doll story has its own unique type of pacing anyway. Mm-hmm. Like set up, set up, set up, and then just like go, like lots of like fun shenanigans. And this movie in particular. Particularly the the third act that is kind of extraneous from the original book's plot. Yep. Uh, that's where the movie really picks up and is a lot of fun for me. So you're saying you hate Rule Doll? No, love I, I'm not Anderson. saying I hate Rule Doll. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, like the most effective part of the movie is the like the part as we've talked about where we it takes the story you know and it takes it up to that higher level. Yeah. And it's just it's just where all the mo- like all the most shenanigans are occurring, like when they're breaking into the uh, the complex, and he's like, "You forgot the blueberries? I wrote it on your paw." Yeah. And when Kylie says uh, when they're looking at uh, Spitz the rabid dog, and Kylie says, "I think he eats soap." Like that just gets <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, and overall, I was very imp- on the rewatch. I was just happy with the the voice acting and the every time. Every time a new actor would come on, my friend would be like, who is that? And I'd be like, oh, it's that person. And then when the credits came on, she was like, wait, that was Meryl Streep that whole time? <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a fun time all around. I was definitely like talking along and singing along to some scenes. It was funny. Yeah, it's well, the, the experience of watching a movie that you have analyzed minute by minute is definitely uh, something I'm going to happily let 
grow in my life. But yeah, I, I really I still really liked it. It wasn't my favorite movie when we started it. It was a movie I really liked, but it wasn't my favorite. And I mean, covering it minute by minute has definitely increased my appreciation of it. But I still I still wouldn't call it my favorite movie like or even maybe in my top five. But that's just because I think it emotionally affects me differently than what the movies that I call my favorite movie. And I think technically this movie is still very underrated. And I think it's like, as we've said, like in the version of like the man doesn't appreciate his family and his life. I still think it is a stronger example of that story in a kind of postmodern way. I am excited to rewatch it. Going into this movie, it was my top film of all time. So, has anything replaced it in your heart since then? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's really hard for me to not have a Disney movie be my number one, but at the same <laughs> time, I can't pick my favorite Disney movie. I can pick my favorite out of an era, which is a really lame cop out. But because they're all so different from all these different periods, I can't, like, just pick one. But at the same time, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox does hold a very special place in my, like, film appreciation. And it's in the same way, like, I love Nightmare Before Christmas. I recognize it's, like, not a great movie, but I just have such strong affinities for it because of our family connection to it, it being my first exposure to stop motion, yeah. Like, there's this difference for me between film technicalities and, like, plot and that kind of stuff and, like, critic analysis of a movie and, like, enjoyment, emotional connection and that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure, so, yeah. There's always room for differentiating between what you like and what you think is good and what the emotions you feel with your critical analysis. Because, like... I respect, like, Citizen Kane. I sat through it. I watched it. I was like, <laughs> yep, I understand why this is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. But I hated it. I hated sitting there watching it. I could not get into it. But I was like, it's very impressive. It's an impressive film. So, like, I get it. But also, like, nah, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited to rewatch it. Yeah, I guess I'll just reiterate what you said. It was like, this movie will always have a special place in my heart just because we've spent two years of our lives talking about We're it on a regular basis. Dying. And yes, we are all dying. Uh, in the end, we all die. Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to say after the rewatch is the uh, the waterfall scene. Just It comes at a good moment in the movie. The movie is well laced with the proper amounts of emotional resonance and humor. I still think... like something that you don't really get on the minute-by-minute analysis is that it navigates that pretty efficiently. That's good. Yeah, I am excited to see how it all fits back together because I haven't watched it in two years and I've just been doing it this minute-by-minute. And while I know the movie so, so well, it is interesting to, like, think about it holistically. Yeah. All right. So we're starting to think about this podcast holistically. It's uh, almost over. Next week will be the last episode. Rest in peace, Mr. Rest in, Fox. Rest in peace, FM, FM. Fuma, fuma. As you say when you <laughs> type it. Yep. That's what I say. Uh, so yeah, Kondra, uh, any final thoughts for this episode? Uh, get hyped for next week. We have 
some big news. So yeah, yeah, you'll you'll learn what our what what's in what's in yours and our future. So other than death. till next time. <laughs> Till next time, uh, catch us on Twitter at Amateur Nerds or me personally at Tyler Booty, T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. Rate, review, subscribe on the podcatcher of your choosing. You can email us at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. You can make a guess about what the future holds for us all. Let us know what you think. For the record, as far as I know, we didn't get any emails from someone who listens to this this show but doesn't listen to Star Wars Minute. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not out there. That just means that we didn't get any answers. Correct. That being said, we also really didn't get any emails in the last. We have yet to get an email from someone that listens to it that is not a content creator themselves asking for a guest spot. So. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> we'll catch you next time on Fantastic Mr. Fox. I've been Tyler Bedrill. I've been Condra. And we hope you have a fantastic day. Fantastic. We're going to have to think of something clever to do for the last episode. <laughs>